welcome to the Becoming Us podcast. Sponsored by Yonder Limited, experts in project management and business support service. Hello and welcome to the Becoming Us podcast. I'm Christine. I'm Winnie. And I'm Siobhan. Hi guys, how are you all feeling? Oh, it's a sunny Sunday. We can't complain, can we? We can't complain at all. We're so sorry, guys, for getting this episode out a bit late. We've had a few technical issues, but um, it's all sorted now, so hopefully you can hear us. Back in the game. Back in the game. So, yeah, with today's um, episode is about pregnancy after loss, but before we delve into that, Shiv, you were saying that we were just talking about how much brilliant feedback we've had from everyone from episode one. Yeah, so thank you to everyone who got in touch with us. We've had lots of feedback, lots of emailing in to us. And just some of the feedback that we've had has been, well, they've all been really positive. It's kind of opened people's eyes and given people a platform to re- recognise that, they're, you know, it's, it's okay to talk about how they feel and it's given people the opportunity to open up to you know family members and to friends and stuff to talk about their feelings with this circumstance and there was one particular piece of feedback that we got which we wanted to read out so Mm. it was somebody a lady who um who has said much needed discussion ladies at times i yearned for an open space with women who have experienced child loss because it has become apparent to me on my own journey that those who know know and that is a lot more common than, than I knew. And she liked experience and spoke about it to those that know and those that didn't, but clearly felt uncomfortable to talk about the loss the loss to me. Talking therapy, the counselling service offered by the GP was not for me, and I knew that from the off. Basically, it's one person one's personal responsibility to recognise when and what support is required. As a community, it's our responsibility to guess I guess, to create services where we identify a gap. It has been quite promising. Yeah, we've got so many people, so many people uh, on Instagram following us and DMing DMing us saying how great it is. They love what we're doing and to keep it up. And that's what we're trying to do out here, aren't we, girls? Yeah. I mean, we got some, um, also some interesting feedback from men. I came across one particular one which probably resonates with me personally was a male who was saying that you know it's, it's not easy for a man to talk about his emotions and there is the desire to be really strong about it but it, it was his perspective was to be strong in a different sort of way so it wasn't an outward um, I'm going to deal with it and, and you know make public announcements but more in, in an introverted way so he would spend you know a lot of quiet time alone almost crying in silence and self-isolating just to avoid showing the emotion so to everybody else it looked like he was dealing with it but actually internally there was turmoil and he just kept himself private and and and, and tried to be strong for himself and his family internally but it wasn't a, a, an outward mm. do you think that's public... quite common in, in most black and asian men do you think that's yeah, a I think it probably thing? goes two ways men with regard to baby either... loss or grieving in general yeah they probably go they're either going quiet or they're going quite loud about it and saying that you know i'm just going to do my best for my family i know siobhan you had somebody who was quite the opposite of that didn't you i think we, you mentioned earlier that the, the man was saying that he were, he had to be strong for the family and yeah that. it was it was more that he so he didn't want to access therapy or any kind of counseling or anything like that because he because of the stigma attached to therapy and him almost feeling weak as a man accessing therapy because you know that's not what men do they get on with it they're the head of the family and they have to be the strong one for 
for their family. So yeah, that was that was one bit of that's the reason why that particular person didn't access any kind of services. But wow. then didn't and some. So I mean, my guy didn't really talk about it very much to other family members either. So it was like, I'm fine. Don't ask me any questions, and I won't tell you anything. So that's it's not necessarily dealing with it. But there was a conscious effort to to try and appear strong, even though the strength wasn't really there yeah yeah. really good feedback thank you so much for everyone that's um, fed back to us dm'd us either on twitter or facebook liked our page thank you so much all your feedback is really really important if you tell us what you are struggling with we can address it in our podcast we can then address it with agencies and it's all about helping our community so thank you so much for that what this episode is about is pregnancy after loss um winnie and i both have had children well i i just recently had my son arthur he's eight months now and winnie went on to have two beautiful boys and we're just talking about our experiences really it's a it's a huge subject out there there's a, there's a huge community that talk about pregnancy after loss because loss is in terms of whether you've had a miscarriage a stillbirth neonatal death or a sudden infant death it doesn't we're talking about the whole range so should I crack on with my journey? So after Rose passed away, she wrote, she passed away in 2018. And I don't know how Winnie felt about this. It'd be interesting. But I felt a need to have a baby soon after her funeral, probably like in October time. She died in August and had the funeral in September. And by October, I was, I really, it was so sad in our house. I had two young boys who were still sad. And there was, my husband was, devastated we were and I just wanted to bring that joy back in our house I don't know if it was the right frame of mind or if that was the right thing to think but I just wait I really wanted another baby so I was I was um, actively trying um you name it ovulation sticks I don't know when if your beginning journey was the same no it was it was similar I think at the beginning you lose a baby and then there's a process of grief and then there's panic stations when you really just want to fix what's gone wrong and you want to fill the gap back in and give something give everybody something to look forward to so you start stressing yourself actually about how you're going to go about it I mean at the beginning it was you know all in let's do it now 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 but actually my body wasn't ready we were mentally Mm. far from ready for all of that Mm. and then it caused some strain in our relationships and we we ended up taking a break Mm. before we came back together again um, and then going through the process of trying and you know, I was keen to get my body back because I felt like my body wasn't ready. So I was really focused on getting my body back to full strength and, you know, getting all the nutrition and all of those things that people do to try and conceive. What do you mean? Um, like, you, did you go to the gym and stuff? Or? I did gym. I did lots of smoothies. I just, I did lots of things to occupy myself. So it was, it, the focus was on well-being, but the end goal was to conceive again. So it was a double double mission, I suppose. Yeah. And was Google uh, your friend? Were you like Googling everything? I was Googling. I was <laughs> taking lots of feedback from everybody else. And this is what you do. And these are the positions. And, you know, it was all oh, a bit much. Oh, God, yeah. From, from researching about herbal tea to swallowing this. And, I mean, it, there was so much information overload. I didn't really I mean, know this is how when... to, to... Sorry to interrupt you, but that's how I stumbled across how massive the Trying to Conceive community is out here in Instagram. Or social media out how big it is and that's when I noticed that going into it that I was like there's not many black and Asians here in this community there's just a lot of white women talking about how they're trying to being so open about it um when I finally got pregnant I was absolutely elated I had like loads of pregnancy sticks probably about 
two boxes full that I got from Amazon and every single period I had I was just putting and I was always disappointed for months I was disappointed and I was just I was just seeing negative negative but my my cycles were crazy long and um the doctor put it down to grief because I was still grieving and stressed and I was putting my body through quite a lot trying to also bring this joy back into our lives and I think that's I mean I don't know about you but I just felt like um especially my mother she was just like oh you know you just you got to get on and try for another and you just have another and almost it's an unspoken thing that everyone I felt that everyone in my family was expecting me to say I'm pregnant again I know and that's the last thing you want to tell everybody about giving your loss you almost want to keep it secret till you get to a safe space but didn't you start misreading your body signs did you not start feeling oh I've got a But really, you're just coming on your period. It's just the disappointment, the highs yeah. and lows of that waiting. Well, what um, what do they call it? They call that something, waiting to the two-week period. Oh, two-week, yeah, two-week wait, the two-week wait. The two-week wait, yeah. <laughs> two-week wait, mate, you're, you're dreaming all types of dreams. Yeah. And it's because yeah. we got to know, the good thing about it is that um, I did get to re-look at my body and you almost, after the loss, I started to think, oh, is it my body is the reason that Rose died? Mm. So I thought, I've got to do something about it. I've got to be healthy now. I've got to sort out my organs. I've got to sort out my reproductive system. And you always place and blame on yourself. I didn't even, for a second, think it's my husband. You don't, yeah. you, just don't you just don't think that as women, isn't it? It's all people, the it's always pointed at responsibilities on you for, yeah. yeah um so and i was i was even thinking as long as like ivf i was i was like thinking you know is there something wrong with me because i although i was only trying for six months and i say only because when you look at people's journey some people are trying for years and years and years until they finally get their baby so i i sort of I felt didn't blessed try for that long either i think no. it was i think i planned i planned this run-up to pregnancy announcement thinking I'll be on some long treadmill trying to get there and then I, it happened really quickly mm. and I was, I was very happy about it but it also made me more stressed that it happened so quickly it's like I didn't have time to adjust or anything so speaking about announcements <laughs> um did you ever think did you announce your pregnancy with your firstborn I'm sorry Cameron no I didn't I waited until I didn't announce it actually. I think uh, I didn't tell anyone I was pregnant. I think the first dis- person discovered when I was about five months, and I could have sworn it was you. <laughs> I'm laughing because I think it was me. <laughs> I walked up to Winnie at the office. I didn't realize I was the first one to realize it. And being the ethnic that I am, I was like, "Sorry, are you are you pregnant, Winnie?" <laughs> I'm only grown now that I realize that I would never say that to a woman. So I just want to apologize for that. <laughs> I would have been awkward if she would have been like, no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I didn't even know you that well then, did I? Because you hadn't been at the office for that long. No, that's the thing. Like, this is how I am I am too well in that stigma of like, so it's such an open, it's such a normal thing in Black and Asian communities to have a baby. Yeah. So you just and go up and say, it. oh, you're pregnant. Or, oh. yeah. <sighs> but it's well, just... like, where is the baby? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. just this they don't think but now i think awareness is getting into you know parents of different generations are starting to realize they need to be a little bit more careful when they go to parties or gatherings and not to make that assumption not even to even bring it up or put that pressure on certain people i know for me when i went to gatherings after rose's death i was definitely belly watched i don't know about yeah. you and i just felt that i just felt that with the announcement thing i didn't want to i was so scared to announce it i think i was telling you guys that i I had taken so many selfies on the phone of me and my belly and my bump whenever I had a really cute outfit on or something. 
and then I'll just delete it instantly because I'll be scared. I, d- I don't even want to send it. If I send it to my husband, I'll be like a thousand messages afterwards saying, don't send it on, don't send it on, don't send it on. So scared that people were going to see it. And I got to about nine months pregnant until I thought I said to my husband that, you know, I, I do get people's anxiety. I get my own. But I, at the same time, I want to give hope. And um, and a part of me just didn't want to be felt sorry for a little bit as well. So it was the selfish part. And it was like, I don't really want people to feel sorry for me as this grieving mother as well. I want people to know that I'm, I've am i been blessed with another chance. The second time. Yeah. yeah second time. So I just um I put it out there when he, when I was uh, nine months pregnant with so much like gratitude and stuff on it and it was really nice. But even me. then, you waited nine months. That's a long time for for for, for yeah. most ethnics to talk about a pregnancy. And I think I wanted to nine cause... months sorted out the room, planned the baby ceremony. It was there's all types of things happening between now. And I nine did months. not plan the. I don't know about you, but I didn't buy a single thing. I know you already have stuff from your from the loss, but. At the same time, I didn't put it out. I didn't put anything out. I didn't set up the cot. I didn't set up anything. People were asking, oh, what yeah, do you I want? What I do you want? And I was like, can can the baby just be born? So that's what I want, mm-hmm. the baby to be born and the baby to be okay. Yeah, so finally you had your rainbow baby. I did. He's called Cameron. And then I went off and had another one called Levi. And they're the cute Levi was um, the surprise one. Now only two months after three months back at work it was a bit it was a bit of a surprise yeah were you like scared to go on a contraception again just in case because you know after we've um oh sorry i know that's a really personal question but i just felt like one of the stigmas with uh, contraception especially the pill is that it messes up your cycle and like you know when i went when i asked my doctor i was like what can i get because I'm, I'm deep in my 30s you can't give me the normal pill i was used to and now you want to throw all these new medications at me hold on a minute you know i just had a loss i don't want you to mess up with my cycle you know what it was for me i think it was um i just spent a lot of time trying to get my body in tip-top shape so i was, it was I, I felt like i was living a clean eating diet for a while no i wouldn't call it a diet i just kind of cut out the sugar and all the nonsense and so to then start pumping my body with contraception pills and things and mm. i just wasn't interested in um, and also coming from an african background they're not they're not um they're more into learning about your natural cycle or well, well in theory they should be but they're not trying to block anything that would stop your blessing so you need to learn your own cycle and map it around now then take contraception so i want to ask you about your scan wins because with my scans um it was a lot more different than my scan with rose where it was really exciting and i had lengthy conversations and funny ones with the sonographer and then when i went in for the scan after loss it was just a silent room and you know even when the sonographer says oh everything's fine you're like looking at them like you liar tell me the truth (laughs) or yeah what's happening really did you feel the same no i did it was all very anxious i didn't enjoy being pregnant at all i just wanted it to i just wanted to i wanted the baby to be here i wasn't really too comfortable with the in-between processes the hospital visits visits the conversations the discussions about it i just wanted to know that everything was fine so i was on slight autopilot and yeah during those scans i was pretty quiet anxious sweating in one armpit as usual (laughs) (laughs) only one armpit just the one yeah that's funny i get that's a whole other podcast win that condition start telling people that you were pregnant well after you discovered christine i don't think I... 
<laughs> did you tell family i mean um family that were waiting because i know with um black and asian you know they're not they're not with my uh, family they weren't i think when they realized i weren't coming to parties and gatherings they were like oh, you know something she's yeah um i think i told them at about six months maybe i started opening up about the conversations obviously my mum knew yeah uh but not the extended family and how so was your I... um sorry go on so if I hadn't spoken to you in the last two, three months, you wouldn't know a thing. Okay. How was your care with the pregnancy after loss? Was it a positive one? With all, I with think all things? it was this time round, but I think because I was such a high risk pregnancy, so they had to they, they they had to justify. They had a lot more to justify in terms of the in terms of my treatment. Um, there was a lot of follow up, lots of appointments, lots of check ins. Yeah, the NHS um, were brilliant, weren't they? You have you can't fault them yeah, with that. Yeah, I can't fault the NHS during that period. You they were had exceptional. your loss in two thousand and eleven or no, yeah. twelve or no eleven. 2011 yeah and you your pregnancy was in 2012 yeah so Cameron was 12 and then he was born in 2013 so fast forward to 2019 um the care it's it's improved even more than that where they've got this specialist uh community that just gives you one midwife throughout and um that midwife even delivers your baby and then um I think you had that as well, isn't it? Yeah, I had like a yeah. trainee, I had a trainee midwife. Yeah, they gave me the same midwife that um, I had when I was with Rose. So um, I wouldn't, to avoid going through the same horrible journey I went through and my loss and having to bring up all that grief. Yeah, that was And uh, my, my consultant as well, because you have to see your consultant like every fortnight. Yeah. Yeah, and then they talk about any, any complications like, could happen and they try and prevent that from happening so mm. i can't floor it, it's just i really um put my hands up it, you know it was just amazing is it put your hands down or put your hands up oh. you know when you're it's hands up. <laughs> don't shoot me <laughs> <laughs> okay so i just wanted to, oh before we go there i i, I was just telling the girls that because my son now goes to nursery because i'm back at work my dad and mum are retired now so they give me a call every morning to see how my son Arthur's getting on at nursery because he's quite young to go to nursery. And every morning, I've been, te- I first told them that, you know, in the morning he did start crying, Dad, when I passed the baby over to the nursery carer. And my dad's like, oh God. And then every morning he rings up and says, how was he? Did he cry? And then I'll be like, um, yeah, Dad, yeah, he did cry. And then, but it was just for a few minutes and then he's like, oh no, God, Dawn. That's my mum, Dawn. He cried again. He cried. And then you can hear my mum in the background going, oh God, why? Why our family? <laughs> just such a drama queen. <laughs> just worried isn't it oh bless them so i don't i do not tell them anymore um i just say he's fine when i handed him over because that that anxiety is what i don't need yeah yeah (laughs) but um we do have it was really nice some people had uh emailed us because we did ask for people to uh email us and ask if they have any questions for this particular episode and i'm just asking these questions to you guys so the first question is having suffered suffered the loss of a baby how did this impact on your motivation to mother children in the future so if i ask when um having lost the baby how did it impact my motivation uh, i think i didn't have a comparison point because i hadn't been a mother before i think i was grateful but i think i was I was grateful in the first instance to be pregnant, but I know one of my prayers when I lost my first baby and that was a stillbirth, it was uh, let me at least have one day of breath and I can, you know, hold this baby's breath and, and smell it and see it and feel it. 
Wow. Um, is... I think the second time round, I was more grateful for those few days. Um, but That's in so terms powerful. of parenting, I had no comparison point. I just knew that I was, I wanted to be a great mum. So I was going to try either way yeah. to be the best I could be. That's so powerful. Like, that really got me there. So, uh, Shiv, for the future, any children that you do have, do you think that your motivation of, of being a mother's changed since um, having your loss? I don't so I wouldn't say my motivation's changed. I still, you know, I still have the same mindset, the same, you know, morals and values. I think it, when when the time does come, it will just be, I suppose, a little bit more tentative. I guess we'll all be on eggshells for a little while mm. until we know all is well, really. So, but no, it, it wouldn't, it won't have changed my motivation to be a mum because obviously I, I, I lost my second child, so I still have an air to keep me going. Yeah. Um, day by day so no Mm. I still love being a mum and I still you know you know what it did it did make me pay closer attention to was the milestones that children go through because you know when you when you hear about parenting Mm. you're grateful to get through the first three months and the teething and then you're grateful to get to the first birthday then you're grateful to get to you know the second birthday but I think every day every small thing became a milestone so I started collecting so maybe it's a subconscious thing but I started collecting small things and I was taking pictures of the tiniest details yeah you know we've got got through today that's amazing let's get through to next week because nothing is a given and it reminded me that tomorrow is never promised I was getting annoyed, at, you know, my, I think I was becoming the really annoying mother that was like, I'm making a big thing of every week that Arthur was yeah. alive, because I knew that five weeks is when um, Rose died. So every week I was just like, oh my God, you know, I can't believe it. You're here, you're here, you're here, you're strong. Yeah. And um, even like when he got to six months, I was just like, we'll have to celebrate this. You know, that's half a year. <laughs> I really celebrated it. Like I had, I think it was so annoying. I had cakes and everything. It's a bit sad. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> a picnic in the garden. It was just too sad. But that's that's part of your motivation, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. So I suppose when you ask that question, there is a change because I'm not sure if I would have been that way before. But like I said, I had no comparison point. But it was a real. You're almost a bit nervous, so you're grateful. Like, wow, we got here today. So. Um, and the second question is, if you made a decision not to have any children after the loss, do you think your family and community would support that decision? And I think we spoke about this in the past, isn't would. it? <laughs> don't think I don't would. think they would. They'll be looking at me like I'm, I'm, tr- I'm blocking my blessings and why would I not try while I still can? It's mm. like, you know, the, the storyline is you're not the first and you won't be the last. And then they'll start telling you stories of, you know, old ladies still having babies and doing just fine. And then everybody promises to help you through the baby. So the talk was that can't that can't come to mind because I've given you all the solutions to any any type of problem you might raise. Mm. I think in Asian communities that they're, they're quick to call women that don't children barren. Like they yeah. they will always say that like oh she's barren. And I was like you know don't you can't refer to people like that just because they choose not to have children or they haven't got children. But mm. I just think that older communities they they do sorry older generation um, Asians they still say that. I don't know if they say it to it people's face. But. Then they start talking to you about um, the stories I heard. Was you know if you don't have a baby, you get to old age, and you know that'll be one of your biggest regrets. Well, thank you so much for those two uh, questions. Please, any more? We would love questions for further episodes because they they're interesting ones, and you know we don't usually get them get asked those, especially after the significant events that we've been through. Or yeah. So this nicely brings us on to um, our next 
topic in pregnancy after loss episode, which is, and Siobhan's going to say it because I keep saying it wrong. Endometriosis. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to tell you a quick subtext about it. And Dr. Anita Marita is a gynecologist and she's an author. And she said that um, it's a condition that causes heavy and excruciating painful periods and pain during sex and as well as infertility issues. And these are all topics that are known to be associated with stigma in society as a whole, but especially it's a taboo. It's it's just not spoken in the black, Asian and minority ethnic communities. And she goes on to say that understanding these sy- symptoms are a cause for concern. It's, it's the first step to seeking help. And many patients unfortunately think they're just things that need to be put up with because that's what black and Asians go through and you know our bodies are different to the BMIs that the NHS say so um, they're just taught to deal with it at school or in the in the past they were just told to deal with it and they just um, feel that they're just unable to talk about it with their family and friends because it's such well it's told to it's a bit of a taboo subject isn't it in a black and Asian community so we have kindly we have um, Kelly Jade who is our guest today and it's Siobhan's close friend and um, she has an amazing journey Siobhan do you want to introduce our guest well, you've, as you've just said, we've got Kenny Jade on today, who's a close friend of mine. Um, Kenny Jade has had a very long journey from for a number of years, um, which and all her journey ties into everything that we've discussed today in terms of trying to conceive, um, loss, pregnancy after loss, and endometriosis. So she's just gonna, you know, give us an insight to her journey. She's a true warrior, and you'll hear her story and know why we've called her a warrior. Because the things that she's gone through, I don't think many people would have been able to go through. Um, but yes, we have Kelly. Welcome, Kelly. Or Kelly Jade, sorry. Hi, Kelly Jade. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for... Kelly with the amazing hair. You look amazing. Thank you for joining us. Firstly, um, <laughs> just tell us your story, really. Okay, so um, my, my story really began... As soon as my my periods began, I was I was about fourteen when I started my periods. I from the moment they began, they were just the worst experience every every month. From the just excruciating pain, and I would always be physically sick whenever I was on my period. And um, I don't know, maybe a, a couple of years or so, I began to faint every time I was on my period. But I just couldn't focus. I couldn't school school was a myth when I was on my period I couldn't I couldn't concentrate I'd get migraines it it was just painful so for a long time I dealt with it or or didn't really have we just I would just medicate using the usual things my mum didn't really understand what was causing so much pain and then we began going to the doctors and for a long time the doctors were telling me it's normal this is just this is how periods are and did they prescribe you anything for the pain and um, no they they didn't they didn't prescribe me anything i wasn't did you feel like they paid... downplayed it or part, a bit oh yeah on a few occasions going to the doctors and the doctors telling me this is this is in your head there's nothing wrong with you this is a painful period there's nothing more that we can do use a hot water bottle take some paracetamol oh, God. and that's that that is it 
and it went on for about for six years I didn't know what was wrong my mum finally decided enough was enough and we went to a private doctor was diagnosed with endometriosis um they explained that um it's tissue resembling the lining of the uterus it grows on the wrong side and it causes scar scarring lesions adhesions ovarian and other cysts and it's it's a chronic illness you know that now it's not just a bad period and then suddenly just everything made sense for the first time so I ended up having after my fourth laparoscopy my consultant told me that that my endometriosis after each laparoscopy which is where they remove any adhesions that have grown because of the endometriosis they remove as much of it as they can and my consultant told me that it would be wise moving forward to consider having a hysterectomy because the rate at which the endometriosis was growing back after each surgery was faster than they they'd seen and he felt that it was getting worse and the only way to combat that would be to get rid of by this time i was 23 still quite young to be told you know still young yeah and i just were they any sensitive about it were they like how they you know how they dropped it to you no it was a matter of fact this is what we need to do i never expected to hear hysterectomy now we know it's not true there there isn't a cure for endometriosis i was completely devastated it made me feel like a complete failure as a woman i always imagined that i would be able to have children always talked about wanting to have children Mm. and all of those things and now someone's telling me that it's not going to happen i completely shut down i pushed everyone away i wasn't did they offer you did the doctors offer you any counseling to that because as a young woman to hear that nothing not at all it was basically it was think about it let us know as soon as possible so we can can forward and that's your future they're talking about and that and that was literally that's make the decision and let us know told the doctor i wasn't gonna have a hysterectomy and we began trying to get pregnant that was a painful journey that was the start of another painful journey because as well as my endometriosis coming back full whack like with a vengeance the first time we conceive um that ended in miscarriage after about six weeks we got pregnant again and I miscarried again at eight weeks pregnant. And after that time, I went back to my consultant just to let them know what was happening. And my consultant was very cold. Basically, he said, I, I told you so, because it comes with the ter- it comes with the territory of endometriosis. I never went to the doctors after my miscarriages. I just carried on. Why? Why, Why did you not go to the doctors? I did after the first one. But after the, I didn't after the others because it just felt I had a huge issue with embarrassment. I was so embarrassed. I did you feel as a black woman I should be able to do this? Yeah, and I felt like a huge failure. My mum was has always told me. I can always remember telling her that she she's always been a very fertile person and she could get pregnant at the drop of a hat. Mm. And I just remember feeling like, why isn't that? Why isn't that me? Mm. My older sister had ha- had a son at the time, and she was just enjoying pregnancy and loving it. And and I just felt very—it's hard, isn't it, when people, when you see yeah, that around and there was you, like people around me were having babies and, and their family as well. Yeah, yeah, and I just I couldn't do it, mm. and um and so I just tried to—I didn't want to let people know that I couldn't do it. 
I would rather them know that the doctor had said, I can't do it, mm. than know I was trying and failing. That takes us back to that stigma again, that same stigma about, you know, that, that we don't talk about, you know, when we're struggling to have children or if there's an issue, we just get yeah. on with it. Like that author said, yeah. Yeah. Um, So when I was pregnant, we got to three months. We went to our five-month scan. And although I was happy to be pregnant, I never never bought anything. And we went to our five-month scan. And up until then, they kept saying the same things. Very healthy heartbeat, you know, very strong. And then at the five-month scan, they said that something didn't, seem quite right so they were going to refer us to um st thomas's to a specialist fetal heart unit so in my head something wasn't right and we went to the appointment they they told us that we were having a girl so we knew that it was a baby girl we went to the appointment and they told us that her heart hadn't formed properly um and that her heartbeat was strong um and everything was functioning because she was dependent on me. They said that there was, she would be able to have an open heart surgery on the day that she was born, um, but she also didn't have a spleen. They explained that children without a spleen would probably not live longer than 11 years old. And it gave us a lot to think about. They told us to go away and think about what we wanted to do moving forward. And I, I... I can't explain how I felt. I I completely shut down. And I shut down. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just, I remember praying really hard. It was unfair to put her through so much because of what we wanted. We went along. I just carried on going that along with the pregnancy, to be honest, for a, until I was seven months. I, I gave birth at seven months. And so did take the decision to basically what they call terminate the pregnancy and it just felt surreal we we had a, a funeral Can you when, that, so, when, when um, that happened were no. you offered any support from the hospital i had i had a few leaflets given to me um dreaded do. leaflets again <laughs> but i i i don't even remember opening them to be honest i didn't um i had a pastor come to me as well it was a very, very difficult time. I couldn't, um, I just didn't understand why the world was still turning when it felt like my completely shattered. Mm. It just didn't feel real. Or well, how much and, can the universe throw at you? Just Yeah, I, just, I was done. Yeah. yeah. We were going to call her Neve. Uh, it felt like nobody wanted to talk about it because it was too morbid and too sad. And I had to keep it to myself. And I remember when I would go home and close the door i'd just cry because i could cry on my own in front of anybody else my endometriosis came back after after healing from pregnancy the endometriosis came back painful Um, heavy very very like like a vengeance all over again it was just so after that um like i said the endometriosis came back Mm. it became manageable because i knew when it was coming i know that i would have my flare-ups during ovulation that's when they would begin and they would include the same symptoms i had before being sick cramping migraines and how long um, does that last is it just two days my ovulation period lasts for three days and then um the p 
period would be I, I'm flat out. You know, I, I can, some people can, uh, say that it's a blessing to have the ovulation pain because they know when they're going to ovulate. You know, yeah. Yeah. But for yeah. you, it was like, you dread it. For me, I could almost gauge how bad my endometriosis flare-up would be during my period, depending on how bad my ovulation pain was. So if my ovulation pain was manageable... The, my endometriosis pain during my period might not be as bad. I went back to uni 2013 while I was at uni. Yeah. And I found out I was pregnant. And that, for me, that was the most, ironically enough, other than the first time I got pregnant, that was probably the most exciting pe- uh, pregnancy I had because I felt like something was changing. Okay. It was an accident. And that didn't... I, I never got pregnant by accident. Those mm. things never happened to me. But that ended in miscarriage again. Mm at four weeks and then in 2014 we got pregnant and I was put as as a high-risk pregnancy it was an amazing it was amazing service we had a little girl um Amaya Jo was born in 2014 and a complete blessing complete like oh how old is she now she will be six next month oh my god It, it was it was um yeah, crazy. I remember when I found out that we were having a girl, it, I was a bit sad. Why? Big feel about having a, being pregnant with another girl. So again, that, how we were talking about pregnancy after loss is just, you just, it never goes, the grief and yeah. the worry and how, you, the anxious and how you feel, it will never go. You live with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. 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 You know, um, after that, unexpectedly, pregnant again and our son came along so you have two bambinos i have two babies after all of that rainbow babies the endometriosis remained manageable after those pregnancies up until last year um where unfortunately it became the worst it's ever been recently um it's caused me unfortunately to not be able to walk unaided now um i it's it's caused damage to my sciatic nerve um and so walking long distances uh, is painful very painful so i need my stick if i'm walking longer than that just to get around in the house i use my stick if i'm walking longer than that i have a chair what advice would you give to young girls listening to this particular episode and who are feeling they don't have a diagnosis yet but they've got heavy periods their pelvic girdle hurts um yeah listen to your body nobody knows your body better than you if you're experiencing something that you feel is not right then you have to listen to that and you have to go to a doctor and explain i think now we're in a place where there's so much information readily available to us Mm -hmm. that there is no harm in educating yourself before you go to a doctor to give them an idea of what you think. So the so stigma that... of black and Asians having wider bodies and therefore have more um, heavy periods is not normal. It's exactly, exactly. You feel like my periods are heavy. I, I can't, if on your period, you are unable to go to work, college, school, whatever. if you are unable to go about your daily routine it's not normal no. so if you feel they go to a doctor um yeah. and and insist that they investigate yeah insist it that's their most important insist thing isn't it because you on it. when you went 
two most important things though like listen to your body because you only you know your body yeah. and make sure you're persistent don't just with whatever the doctor t- the first thing the doctor tells you because as we've seen hence why we called you a warrior look at your journey you've been through from mm-hmm. being told at, in your early 20s that they want to you know give you a hysterectomy to going on to having you know finding out that actually I can carry children to yeah. losing the number of children to having a stillbirth to having another miscarriage to then carrying two babies full term mm-hmm. and had you had you listened to the advice of those doctors you know what look look at the outcome that would have happened you would have gone with the doctors because you think oh they know best had this hysterectomy and been you know without children without children and still with endometriosis endometriosis so that for me i think that the moral of of your story is definitely listen to your body and definitely coming on to our episode thank you it's been thank very exciting and just before kelly goes i know that you've been seeking support from is it endometriosis uk absolutely um endometriosis.co.uk endometriosis.co.uk brilliant platform they can put you in touch with local support group they are at the moment doing a huge campaign that which is being brought to government to just highlight endometriosis and make sure that it is more researched and more well known, especially in the workplace. Absolutely, so it won't be ignored yeah. like you were ignored for all throughout all your trauma. For all, all that mm-hmm. time. Um, we will put those. We'll put the information of that that charity in, our, show in our show notes so that people who you know hear, hear this can reach out to somebody and know that there are there is a community out there um, absolutely. out there that can be support to them we would definitely definitely thank you so much kelly jade thank you so much for having me very much and thank you guys for listening today um next episode is uh infertility in the black and asian communities where we have special guest kemi who is talking about her journey of infertility and also dealing with uh, cancer after infertility specifically. And she she too is a warrior and has a journey and it's gonna be really interesting speaking to her actually. Just again, if you need any help or you feel like you are not receiving the care that you are from your GP or you're, you're feeling very low about experiencing anything to do with infertility, um, any of the medical issues in relation to baby loss, miscarriages, please do um, seek help by um, there are so many organizations out there I'll putting them on the show notes they're available on our Instagram page um, organizations organizations like baby loss UK um, pregnancy after loss sans lo- there's loads out there um, I will put them on the show notes please get in touch with us and thank you so much for listening We'll see you later. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Kelly.